I love this series because I love God's grace. I love God's grace to the extent that it's what I want my life patterned after. Because if I uh, look at the world through my eyes, my carnal eyes, I'll be judgmental. Is anybody guilty of that? Of being judgmental when you look at others and thinking, well, how they mess up like that and how they do that or how they fail that way. And, and we can always look at others and think about how they're failing and not ever value ourselves or judge ourselves and see where am I failing. And I pray through this series mostly that God will work on me through the messages so that I can be an example of his grace. And just as Paul, I think that was Paul's desire. He wasn't uh, putting other people down. He wasn't proud that he had to stand up to Peter that day. I think that it was something he was saying to get to a point. So I don't ever, after last week's message, it kind of weighed on my heart. It's like, you know, I've, I've probably come across in one way of uh, talking about Peter and Paul like that they was on the polar opposites. But actually, in the end, I believe they came together where grace abounds, uh, sin no longer abounds. And I believe they both ended up in heaven because everybody you hear talking about you're going to go up to St. Peter when you go to heaven, right? So uh, I believe Peter's in heaven. I don't believe he messed up to the point where that he couldn't get to heaven. But I believe it was a mistake at that area in his life that Paul stood up to him. This week we're going to look at Galatians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 through 14, and look at another aspect of grace or another way of looking at grace to where that will uh, cause us to behave and act differently than we currently are. So Genesis, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14, you got it up on the screen. Let's stand as we read. Um, let's go over there. I'm going to go over here this time just to be different. You ever notice that? I always go over there. I'm going to go over here this time. Over here. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had, had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own efforts or human efforts? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and the work and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked toward forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, All nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessings and Abraham received back up because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. Everybody repeat that. But those who depend on the law to make them right 
with God are under his curse. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't want to be under God's curse. That's not a place you want to be, right? I don't want to be under God's curse at all. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who do not, does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Everybody say nobody, nobody. can be made right be made with God, God by trying to keep the law. Can't happen. You never fix yourself. You'll never uh, overcome. Does anybody ever get disappointed at yourself? When you mess up, we all mess up. We can just agree to that right now. We all mess up. And when you mess up, you feel disappointed in yourself. You don't blame others. You blame yourself. But keeping that and trying to keep that, you will not be made right by God. Only through his grace where you can say, Jesus, I messed up. And you're the one that's got to fix it. Verse 12, this, is, this way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has re rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham, so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that uh, you have made a way where there seemed to be no way, that you made a way of salvation where that we can receive eternal salvation through your Son, Jesus. Lord, let us always keep our eyes upon you and less upon ourselves. Lord, we know we're fallen. Lord, we know that we uh, mess up and we have faults and failures. Lord, allow us to see you and who you are and what you did on the cross. Help us to be more like you. Help us to be more holy. Help us to live a, a more perfect life than what we was last week. Help us to be everything you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody say amen. You can be seated. Amazing grace. We've said since week one that the word amazing means to cause great surprise or wonder. I believe with all my heart that we are to be in awe of God's grace. And until you need God's grace and you saw his grace come through and change your life, I don't think you've ever been in awe yet until you've seen God fix your mess-ups. Or that he fixed some things that you have done wrong and you've uh, caused some people, uh, other people hurt and then seen God fix and repair relationships and God to repair uh, some things that uh, you thought was impossible. Has anybody ever wronged somebody else? Is anybody in this room that'll agree and say, yeah, Pastor Ben, I've messed up and I've hurt other people. I'm willing to say I've hurt people. I'm not proud of that fact. It's not something I boast about, but I have hurt people, and I'm not uh, proud of that. I'm ashamed of that. But I know this, that if I allow God to work on me, he can cause me to uh, get over the hurt that I've caused and the and the uh, the pride in my heart to where that I don't want to allow others to come in and he can allow that to work on me so that he can mend relationships. I believe God needs to mend some relationships in our community. I believe there's people that holds on to grudges for sometimes even generations that it's families against families and it's looking way back maybe even uh, 
way back in history, maybe it was over a land squabble where the two people, neighbors, got into a fight over where the property line was. Somebody built a fence two foot on somebody else's property, and it's a big fight. Anybody know about those kind of fights? You've probably heard of them. Uh, and you, they'll get in a big argument, and it's like a family feud. And I think uh, the way our culture is in eastern Kentucky, especially at the Appalachian culture, is that our, our family runs deep. You've probably heard it said that blood's thicker than water. Anybody ever heard that? It's true. <laughs> Blood is thicker than water. You can look at the consistency of it, and on a scientific place, it really is thicker than water. And what they're saying is that people will stick together with their family more than they will with the stream that connects them to other families. And it's really true. But some of those times, those uh, families will feud to such a level that it'll cause such great discourse that uh, they will feud for generations. And you probably watched a video a few years ago, uh, a documentary they did, and they've recreated this over and over and over again about a, a little uh, group of people up in eastern Kentucky and West Virginia that got into a big squabble, and it stemmed even from the Civil War. One was north, one was south, and they fought. Anybody know their names? The Hatfields and McCoys. <laughs> It was a, a thing where generations deep, they would fight. And th it was uh, some family involved. And, you know, finally, according to the uh, documentary they did, you know, the, the son, son from one family fell in love with the daughter from the other family. And it brought uh, even more division. And that brought on even more fighting and more uh, death. They, they was killing each other. And uh, the Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And that young couple that fell in love, they wasn't sticking by their family ties. They were sticking by what they felt inside of their heart. And I believe in, a, in, in our world that we live in today, in order for us to get over some of the uh, scenarios in our life and some of the uh, uh, angst or just discourse with other people or, or discontent with the situation that's going on, we need to allow God to speak inside of us and tell us, don't just sing the song, lay me down, lay me down, oh, oh, oh. We're singing the song, lay me down. You know what you're saying? Jesus, lay me down, cause me to die. That's what Paul said. I die daily. And the sooner we lay ourselves down and get out of the way and say, God, I am dead to this. I can't fix this. I can't, I can't make this go away, but you can. And whenever we're singing that song, it's not just about words. It's about something on the inside of us. And how many feels like you're ready to let some things die? To let some of those past hurts and some of those past things in your life, and maybe it's even generational like I talked about. Maybe you feel like society's done you wrong, or maybe you feel like that there's certain uh, uh, families of people in Lewis County that's done bad things to your family. It's time to lay me down. It's time to let it go. And in order for God's grace to ever become amazing to us, for us to be in awe of it, it's whenever we get over ourselves and say, God, you're more important than the things that hurts in my past. And, it, and going forward, in order to see that happen with God, I love it that Paul is writing to the Galatians here and talking to them as a church, and he's telling them, you know, these things have happened, and he's telling all about grace. And I hope you do do that, that you'll, I said do-do. I hope you do do that. hope you will perform the task. 
of going through Galatians and underlying the word grace. Before this series is over, will you please, everybody say, I love you, Pastor Ben. I pray that you will go through and underline the word grace in Galatians. And just look at how many times Paul is talking about grace. Then I'll even urge you to go even farther. Go all the way through the epistles and look at how many times Paul spoke about grace. Even go into James and, and John and, and Jude and all these other uh, books of the Bible where that other people wrote about God and about how the church ought to conduct its business and underline the word grace. I'm telling you right now, you better get a few pencils handy. You better get you a pencil sharpener. Anybody remember a pencil sharpener? That was kind of cool at work there today. Nobody uses pencil anymore. They got them little mechanical ones and all these fancy stuff and fancy ink pens. And how many remember sharpener pencil at school? It's so much fun. Why don't you go up there? <laughs> and usually, as a kid, the aggravating kids, you know them kind, the, the aggravating kids, they would wait until the teacher's really trying to get a point across. Peter must have been you. You're laughing. <laughs> I can see him up there <laughs> making the noise while the teacher's trying to teach. It was never us. We were never that way. But up at work there today, I saw a pencil sharpener on my desk. I've been cleaning my desk off. I've been working there for three months now, and I'm still working on cleaning my desk off. Anybody ever take time to fix stuff? <laughs> it takes a long time to do it. And I cleaned my desk off, and lo and behold, behind everything, Ernie, there was one of them electric pencil sharpeners. And I thought, man, that's new age right there. That's, that's the kind that was fancy. That's not the kind where you had to crank the handle. That's, it does it on its own. I was kind of amazed by that. How do I get there? Somebody tell me. How do I get there? Pencil sharp. Oh, underlining the word grace. There we go. It'll come back. It takes me a while sometimes I'll get back to it. So underline the word grace. And I really believe if you'll get active in underlining that word grace that you're going to be reading so many scriptures. The Bible says that God's word needs to engraft or implant itself in your heart. King David said this way. He said, Lord, um, place your word on the tablets of my heart so that I won't sin against you. If you want to know a way of quit sinning, read God's word and engraft it in your heart. It'll cause you, whenever that moment of sin tries to creep upon you and tackle you, whenever God's word's inside of there, it'll say, no, you know about grace, right? You know about grace, but that don't mean you can go ahead and follow through with this sin. Because there's words in the scripture that tells us how we ought to act. Amen? Let your neighbor say, God knows how you ought to act. He does. He, he, know, he knows what's best for you. I, I don't believe God tries to trip you up. I don't believe he tries to trick you and, and cause you to stumble and fall. I believe he knows the best way for us. I believe he really wants our, the best for our lives. Sometimes we don't understand. He gets... He allows us to go through seasons and, and, and times of trouble and trials, and some of those things come, but that doesn't mean God don't know best. He knows best. And we need to understand that His grace allows us to, to uh, move on towards greater things in our life. And I believe when grace begins to change us, it changes how we act. I think the most amazing grace is the grace where God changes us not to act like we used to act. My grandma's the only one amening. I believe grace, the amazing grace, is the grace that changes us not to act like we used to act. 
not just the grace that gets us out of the past things we've done, but the grace that changes us from doing the future mistakes that we've made in our past. You following what I'm saying? The grace that changes us, that's the amazing grace that I want. That Not just where that God has covered my sins back here, but he's covering me in the forward progress of as I'm moving forward, that his word hidden in my heart, I won't sin against him, and he's changing my future, not just my past. Because if God ever gets involved in my future, he'll start lining some things up. If he ever gets involved in my future, he'll make crooked places straight, the Bible says. He, he will make those paths a, a highway of holiness, it talks about, that leads us to heaven. Uh, don't you want to be on a highway? I'd much rather travel uh, uh, the double-A highway than I would a little back road, don't you? It, it's scary. You get on Montgomery Road, a little old narrow road going up through there, and there's no line in the middle, and you don't know whether you're on your side or their side. Amen? I don't like those kind of roads. It's not fun going up through there because then you get in the middle and everybody's like, well, I'm going to take my half out of the middle. That's what my grandpa used to say. I think he just couldn't see. He'd be driving down Kenny Road and, he'd, you know, I'll take my half out of the middle. That's probably not good. <laughs> don't take your half out of the middle. That leaves two halves on the other side and the car can't split in half to get around you. <laughs> You're supposed to be on your side of the road. But that highway that of holiness that leads us to God is a highway. And I think that highway, Ernie, is talking about a road with lines. It's got yellow lines with the, what do they call the, uh, I don't know, the rumble strips. I love those things, don't you? Those things are awesome. Go down the dubway, and if Leslie's snoring or, or nodding off or not paying attention or looking at her phone, on purpose, I'll, I'll just ease over a little bit. Why do you do that? Because it's fun, that's why. I mean, ain't I? Kind of bad I do that. Maybe I'll stop. Maybe I won't. But that highway of holiness gives us rumble strips on both sides. It won't let us go too far to the left or too far to the right. And I believe the, that, you know, that there's a great uh, divide in the church today. And as you watch, you can watch TV ministries and preachers. There's preachers that will preach on grace to a degree where that they let anything go. That everything is within boundaries. That, that, there's, that there's nothing that you can't, uh, that's just too far. And they call, Some people call it greasy grace. I believe it is greasy grace. It's slippery. It takes us, we slide out into the areas that we don't want to go into. And I don't want greasy grace, do you? I want God's true grace. I don't want grace that allows me to do whatever I want to do. I want grace that keeps me in the confines of what God wants me to do. Because if I'm in his boundaries, I'm in his will. I believe God's got guardrails, don't you? I believe there's a highway of holiness, and that highway has, has berms. It has those rumble strips. It has those guardrails that protect you. They're not there to force you into the middle or, or keep you bound into the middle. They're there to protect you from going off the edge, off the cliff. Is this picture, is it making sense? So God's grace is there because he's protecting you. That's what it's about in your future. And as Paul's telling the Galatian church here in Galatians chapter 3, he said, who has bewitched you? I want you to think about it this way. <laughs> Inside of the church, 
witches. Inside of the church, people who don't want a good future for you. People inside the church who's trying to trick you and cause you to stumble and walk away from God. People sitting in the pews that'll smile and high-five you when Dusty says a high-five, but really inside they don't care about your future or your well-being. They are self-contained about their self. And the scary part is, is everybody says all the time, and all these, uh, uh, I go to these uh, conferences and these meetings, and everybody nowadays is talking about, I want to be a church like the first century church. I want to go back and act like the first century church. And I'm like, you know what you're asking about? That's people getting uh, on a stake and burned alive. That's people being sawn asunder. That's people being stoned. That's people being get killed just for being a Christian. Is that really what we want? And if you say, well, we want to we go back to the first century church and, and their principles. Yeah, that's what we want. But guess what? When you go back to that first century church and their principles, you're going to come into contact with people inside of the church that was witches. How many grew up watching cartoons? Looney Tunes? They're different than cartoons today. Man, you watch cartoons today, I can't even make no sense out of them. At least back then it makes sense, right? I guess they made sense, but still they was killing each other. I mean, like Family Sam and there's a lot of violence in there in the old cartoons too. One of my favorite cartoons as a child that I remember is this. There was little blue people that wore white hats and white pants. What was they called? Smurfs. Anybody remember the Smurfs? You had Papa Smurf, right? Smurfette. Sleepy, that's the only one you remember, D. He called you like you, Grumpy. That's you. T he remembers the two that's most like him, I guess. Oh, he's on some different topic. What was the one that was smart? What was his name? Brainy. Yeah, that's who I wanted to be. When I was a kid, I used to, I used to, uh, I guess because I was in special ed, I was worried about other people that wore glasses. I wanted to be smart like other people, so I always dreamed about the day that I'd be able to wear glasses. Here I'm 40 years old, and I still don't get to wear glasses. I'll be sitting over there looking all smart and hip and everything. I guess it's still there. But all these Smurfs lived in this little community, and they was protected, and they, they, they looked out for each other, and they tried to really uh, get along and cause community and tried to uh, uh, live together in harmony. But how many remembers the guy that was really not too far away? He was within the, the distance that they could see up on the hill. That lived in the castle. Gargamel. Yeah, there we go. Azrael, his cat. The mean cat, too. Man, that Lord of mercy. That All cats are like that, really. You know what? Anybody got a friendly cat? All cats are grouchy. They're just, they're mean. They're possessed. There's something wrong with them. Leslie loves her cat. She'll go out on the porch, and it, its hair is matted right now. It's the ugliest cat on the face of the earth. I'm, 
I would post a picture, but I'm afraid people would think we're mistreating it or something. That thing just, but you can't even touch it. It's just mean. It's grouchy. And it, it's, it's, it thinks it owns our land. We've got 60 acres, and we've got a driveway that we drive up to our house. And that cat, Leslie's got a real good name for it. You want to know what our cat's name is? Tell them, Ernie. <laughs> meow, meow. Ain't that a good name for a cat? Meow, meow the cat. <laughs> and the reason she calls it meow, meow is because it meows real loud. It's like it'll stand outside the door. Meow. And it's like a grouchy meow. It ain't like, meow, come feed me. It's like, meow, get out here and feed me right now. And usually it knows I don't like it, I think, so it tries to stay away from me. But here lately, this has just happened in the few past weeks. Maybe this is God's grace working on me. I don't know. Meow, meow has got this friendly urge to come around to the back door when I'm leaving for work and stand there at the door. And when I open the door, it won't let me across because it's standing there thinking, well, the past three mornings you brought me treats. Why are you not bringing me a treat today? You know what's aggravating? Is whenever I forget the treat and I've got a coffee in one hand, my Pop-Tart in the other. Man, this is good. Ain't it? And I'm like, I'm getting ready to go to work. Going to be a good day and get the door and open the door up and try to keep them spill my coffee all over me and do what I always do. End up, got to change the shirts. I've done that I don't know how many times in my life. And I get there and get the door open. There's meow, meow. Meow. She's really saying, get me a treat, stupid. I'm like, really? I'm late. I'm going to be late to work. And here I've got to come in here and i got to go back in the kitchen and put my coffee and pop heart down and, and go over the cabinet and get the cabinet. And then by then, because I've got to give Jake and Zoe one of my Pop-Tarts. It's just the royal two, the dogs. They get up and come in there and get like half of one of my Pop-Tarts. So I've still got one Pop-Tart, and I, I get up in the cabinet, I get her, her box, and I, I put some of them treats in my hand, and I try to get my Pop-Tart and the, and the coffee in the other hand. I go back, and I barely pull the door open, and I, I put it down, and then she's just happy-go-lucky, like Meow Meow's happy. Happy wife, happy life. Happy Meow Meow, happy journey on the way to work. <laughs> Goofy cat. Gargamel's cat was like that. Do you remember that cat? I hope you go home and look, look on YouTube and start watching some Smurfs. Grouchy cat. But anyway, the community of Smurfs tried to live together in harmony, but Gargamel didn't want their harmony to exist because he was so miserable himself, he couldn't stand to see anybody else happy. With me? And he was to such a degree that he couldn't stand their happiness that he always tried to impose his unhappiness on everybody else's happiness. How's that look in a church world? A church that gets along and, and is involved and, and takes up food baskets and tries to go to the community and, and goes out and loves on people in our community and tries to do good things. And other people's misery is, well, I can't stand that they went out there and did that. And why did, just why, 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 why? Never did anything themselves to try to help or be involved or get involved in ministry. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, anybody that wants to take a food basket, you need to. Am I telling the truth, Sister Joanne? She's went every year with Leslie and drove around. And I think Misty went one time and fell out of the van. It was, <laughs> it was one of the best. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's lots of people go, but please go. Until you see God's grace of you packing that food into a family's house in need in that moment, 
and feeling God tugging on your heart that this is what community is about. This is what church is about. It's about helping people. That we're not consuming all the grace on ourselves, but we're extending into our community. Until you've ever done that, you'll never experience it. So I beg you, please go with one of the groups. And I, it looks like right now, I think Greg Hall went there today and bought, I don't know how many boxes of, of uh, uh, cake and icing. And I mean, they're going full tilt. They're hoping for 12 baskets. We, we, what we normally do, five, six, seven baskets, something like that. We've done little as three before. So now we need 12 names. I believe there's 12 people out there that God wants to touch through Bethesda Church. I ask you, please, get involved and not just give, but go. I'm glad you do give. I'm glad that you help with that. But please go. Because you will... I think if Gargamel would have ever come off that hill and just for a second, just for a millisecond, would have decided, I want their joy in my life rather than my pain in their life. That's what Amazing Grace is about. Where that it changes who we are into who God wants us to be. And I believe those guardrails are up on us, telling us the reason I don't want your pain in everybody else's life. And, you know, there's some people that say, because I've had to deal with so much myself, I hope everybody else has to feel the pain I feel. I hope nobody ever goes through the pain that I've had to feel in my life. I don't desire my hurts on anybody else because what, what glory can come from that? I would rather people sense the, the joy of the Holy Ghost, the joy of the Spirit of God, the joy of God that brings us into this season of, of Christmas that we're going into. What if we would go as a church and be the church full of joy? That we didn't desire pain in other people's life, but we desire joy in other people's life. I think that amazing grace would change our community. Not just from the outside, but from the inside. So thinking about that Paul's telling them who has bewitched you, there had to be a witch present. There had to be somebody present that was trying to put pain on everybody else. Somebody was trying to tell everybody, you've got to live by the law. You can't get to heaven on grace. You've got to do your own deeds. You've got to do these right things to get to heaven. And they started bewitching the church thinking that they had to do stuff to get to heaven. I can tell you right now, you can take 40,000 Thanksgiving baskets and feed half the country. And that doesn't matter to get you to heaven. It'll just make it feel like you're living in, he in heaven here on earth, what that'll do. It'll never get you to heaven. Deeds will never, ever get you to heaven. I know people that, that are, are, are so caught up in the, their religious belief system that they will, will, will wear the longest skirts. They will not. I, I know women that wouldn't shave their legs because they thought it was something against Scripture. They'll never cut their hair. They'll put it up. You see them, and they live their whole life trying to say, I'll do every single thing that I think it takes to make me right to get me to heaven. But you can look on their face, and there's pain. There's hurt. There's so much hurt from the past of their life. I don't know what it is, but it's like I don't want anybody to have any joy because joy is something from the enemy. If joy's from the enemy, why is the Bible full of it? The joy of the Lord is our strength. There's all kinds of scriptures and, and places in scripture where the Bible talks about God giving us joy. 
and their deeds will not get them to heaven. I can tell you right now, it don't matter if you wear a dress or not. The Bible does say be modest. I'll preach modesty. You know why? Because it's what the Scripture says. I'll never tell you you have to wear a dress because Scripture don't say that. Well, they'll go back and they'll say, well, it says for a woman not to wear a man's apparel and man wear pants. Okay. Let's go back to the first century church that you want to go back to. And all the men <laughs> wore robes and tunics. <laughs> Just saying. Things will not get you to heaven. Jesus Christ and him alone will get you to heaven. The only grace you need in your life is the grace of Jesus Christ. And what I'm telling you today is don't let anybody else, just like Paul is telling them here in Galatians, don't let anybody else bewitch you. You want to know what a witch does? They concoct things. You know what they do, Ernie? They stand around in all the pictures that we see portrayed as a, some old green-faced woman with a big black hat, and, and they're standing there with a big black pot, and they got this old green stew looking, and they're stirring it up and putting all kinds of junk in there, herbs and, and all this stuff. They're concocting something, some kind of stew that they're going to get somebody to drink. You want to know what a church witch looks like? They don't look like that. Because ain't nobody going to drink that old greasy green slime. A church witch is somebody that will make you think they're looking out for your best interest, but they're feeding you something that's going to poison you on the inside. I, this is truth today. I just want to tell you the truth. Because I know the Bible says if you know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I know that the truth is the answer for our ailments, for our wrongs. And I'm telling you today that witches inside the church are still just as active today as they was in Galatians chapter 3. It's people that want to feed you something that upsets your stomach. It's people that want to feed you something that causes you to be on the wrong path, that causes you to have envy and bitterness and strife and all the fruits that the Bible talks about. And we'll read about them in, in Galatians where that Paul tells us this is what the fruits of the Spirit is. This is the fruit of the flesh. I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life. You know what they are? Love, joy, peace, and happiness and self-control. It's a song we sung this year at, at Vacation Bible School. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit's not a watermelon. They had all these little symbols all these kids was doing this year at Vacation Bible School, and it's still stuck in my mind. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is. And a witch won't feed you the fruit of the Spirit. They'll feed you the fruit of the flesh. I love it that Jesus said this. These words, these words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word brings life. Man's word brings death. I can tell you today that as I'm telling you that there's witches in the church, it's the truth. Who are you going to listen to and who are you going to believe?
read this right here. You cannot go wrong. Did you know there's some people that says this contradicts itself? Anybody ever heard that? How do you believe the Bible? It contradicts itself. You know the best answer I got for that one? I got the answer. Say, show me. They'll be like, uh, well, uh, uh, somebody else told me that. They've never read the Bible to even know that it contradicts itself. It's just one of them say, things they can say to get you out of their face. It really is. Try it sometimes. Next time somebody says, well, the Bible contradicts itself, say, show me. Say, I'm from Missouri. Show me. They can't do it. You know why? Because it don't contradict itself. But here's the deal. I know that in my experience of trying to study Scripture, the Bible tells us to study to show, make ourselves or show ourselves approved unto God. A workman need not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I like to study Scripture, don't you? Do you like reading your Bible? Some people say, oh, I can't understand it. Neither do I. <laughs> Does that mean I ain't going to read it? No, I'm still going to read it. There's some things I don't understand, Ernie. It just don't make no sense to me right now. But guess what? That's got to be a future revelation because I can't revelate anything to myself. Only God can show me what he wants me to see at that time and in that point in my life. And as I read through Scripture sometimes, I think, well, that contradicts something else I read. Has anybody ever done that? If you read your Bible enough, you will. And as I'm reading about grace and trying to and think about grace and how that allows you these guardrails and these bumpers and these uh, rumble strips and these lines painted on the road and these reflectors there to keep you in God's will, I think about God's grace with those boundaries. And some people will re read Galatians, the book of Galatians, and they will take it to the point of saying that the greasy grace of God will allow you to go and do anything you want to do and you'll make it to heaven. I can tell you that there's cliffs in your life that if you won't obey the line, if you won't obey the lighted uh, warning there, if, you won't, if you'll run over the rumble strip and if you'll jam into the guardrail and run through it and go down over the hill, <laughs> you're not in God's grace. I don't want to be religious and I don't want you to think that I'm talking about law and legalism. I'm not. I'm talking about the boundaries of God. And sometimes when I read scripture and I look at that, it's like, oh, man, but God, I, I feel like grace needs to go that far. The Bible says his grace is sufficient, right? I believe that. So where's the guardrails of the problem? Some people want the guardrail to be over there plumbing the ditch line. I guess they want to go over and run up and down the ditch, Ernie. I don't know. I'd want the guardrail to be right beside the blacktop, wouldn't you, so that you don't get off the blacktop. But I don't want the guardrails to be so close that my car can't even fit in between it. And i got to go up between it and eat and like, ee, scraping down both sides of my car. I don't want it to be that close. You can, you can, go read James this week. I'll, I'll give you a little assignment. I won't even do your work for you. I, I believe you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Go read James and then come back and read Galatians. Try it. Then go read Titus and come back and read Galatians. It'll look like, man, James and Titus, or James and Jude, they're in opposition to what Paul's saying. They're contradicting each other. No, they're not. 
Because God wrote them both. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture, that's every bit of it from front to back, all of it's given by God. It was written down by holy men of old. They penned these words. It may end, be in their own way of talking, but it was God that told them what to say. This is God's word. It's holy. But sometimes we feel like there's contradictions, but really it's where God is setting the guardrails. How many wants to pray for guardrails to keep you safe in God's word? I don't want to get outside of God's word. I want the amazing grace of God to the extent he will let me live, and I want to, I want to drive down the highway. I hope that my life in my Christian life is like riding in a convertible with 85-degree uh, weather and my hair blowing and me with a big mullet. I, I can just picture my spiritual life being like this, you know, with a spiked hairdo from the sixth grade. Anybody ever, ever has spikes? Come on. There you go. I, we got some honesty in the room now. Finally, somebody told the truth. I had a spike. Did anybody have the razor lines? Did anybody have those, them razor lines down the side of your head? Pete, did you have them once upon a time? Never got, never got the razor lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it pretty cool, man. You get them three lines, one down the side of your head. It made you look cool. My spiritual life's like that. I want to I be cool in God's grace going down the road, don't you? I want the joy of it. And I don't know what your picture of joy is. I'd say Mary's is like hippie days or something. I don't know. She, she still is in the 70s. And the, uh, I remember as a kid, Mary having lava lamps. And Ernie, you probably had a lava lamp, didn't you? Yeah. I don't know what brings you joy. And I can just see Sister Joanne out there. Diner and drive-in, I guess, probably what you would have went to, what they call it back then, the little diner. Bridge Boy, that's it, the Bridge Boy. That's what's cool back in your guys' day. So you see, there, there's freedom in Christ for everybody to receive the joy that they understand joy to be. And a freedom to worship God is this, where that I want the grace of God to take you to that point where that you are the happiest you've ever been in your life. I don't want guardrails to keep you in check so that you have to worry about the guardrail. I want it to be an 85 degree day in a convertible with your hair flowing or whatever you want glory to be, whatever you want that joy to be. And I think that's what God wants. He don't want to bind you. He wants freedom for you. The freedom of God. Freedom of God to enjoy life at its best. Because if you're in awe of God's grace, it's going to bring so much joy in your heart that the sour bitterness that we all contain, and I'm not picking on anybody because I'm as negative Nancy as anybody else, but I want the joy of God to be my salvation. Where he takes me to a place, Ernie, where that there's freedom. It's for freedom I've set you free. God wants you to be free in Jesus Christ. Let's see if you'll play something. Won't you stand? Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please?
anybody here, say, Pastor Ben, as you've been speaking today, I felt the Holy Spirit working on my heart, and I know that He's wanting me to stay within the guardrails. And today, I want to make a decision that I want on that highway that God talks about, the highway of holiness, so that I can live in the freedom of God. I want Jesus Christ to set me free from myself today. Maybe there's some of you that say, Pastor Ben, I feel like I've already run off the cliff. Some of you say, Pastor Ben, I feel like I've been stuck in the ditch for a long, long time. And you talking about driving on this highway makes me desire that today. I want to live on that highway. I want that thing of joy that you're talking about in my life. Is there anybody here just raise their hand and say, Pastor Ben, I want that joy. I want the joy of salvation to come back in my life and in my heart. Put your hands up. I want everybody here to just repeat this prayer after me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you, forgive me for my sins. Help me to go forward in my future, living by your principles by your guidelines let me do everything you ask me to do so that my life can be full of joy in Jesus name I pray